slippers and shoes? What's the matter, Morty? Great gowns, beautiful gowns. Fashion has changed. Hi, I'm Lauren Garoni. And I'm Chelsea Fairless. And welcome back to another episode of the Every Outfit Podcast. Chelsea, I have to ask you, did you happen to drive by Mosaic when you were coming to my house today? No, I took Mulholland. Don't worry, Mosaic is fine. For those of you who don't live in Los Angeles, Mosaic is the hipster millennial Christian church. A car drove into the Ruffalo's Pizza across from Mosaic, creating a giant crater in the building. I, of course, first saw this on TikTok, and then that clip was picked up on the news and then that clip was picked up by TMZ. Why? The succession actor and Ferris Bueller's Day Off actor Alan Ruck is the one who was driving that car and crashed it into the pizza shop across from Mosaic. Okay, didn't that literally happen in Ferris Bueller? Like that was his dad that had the car. He kicked the Ferrari until it <laughs> went through the window. That's so crazy. Don't worry, Mosaic is fine. Praise Jesus. <laughs> it's a miracle. It's a Halloween miracle. It's the power of Jesus and excellent social media that kept it safe. How was your actual Halloween? Like we went to a Halloween party last weekend, so we did the whole party costume thing. But did the children actually come to your house? This year they didn't. Except I learned today, actually they did. I just missed the flyer in my mailbox asking if we wanted to participate. What do you mean? Why do you have flyers in your mailbox? Like, don't you just like have candy and like kids in the costumes come and take the candy? Isn't that how it works? Call me crazy. The candy. Aren't they here for the candy? No, because as you know, in Los Angeles... Most neighborhoods are unwalkable and sucky. But you don't live in one of those neighborhoods. Like, you have sidewalks. This is true. You have to email an address. I don't know who this person is. And it's like, yes, I'll be participating this year. And I didn't. But here's the thing. Even years that I have participated and I've had straight up Halloween decorations, no one stops by the house anyway. Yeah, like no one will ever stop by my house. It's too treacherous to get to. Yeah, so this year I was a real Grinch of Halloween. That was my costume. (laughs) Your actual Halloween costume was really fab though. You did a couple's look. For the first time ever, I did a couple's costume. It's so cute. But very on point for us. I was Julianne Moore from Magnolia and Paul was Tom Cruise from Magnolia. He really looked more like Tom Cruise than I expected him to. Not that your Julianne Moore realness wasn't there, although you were obviously wearing a wig, whereas Paul has the actual Tom Cruise hair. Well, for months he kept being like, I think I'm going to cut my hair short. And I was like, not till Halloween. You need to be able to do the half pony. <laughs> We'll put a photo in the show notes. I will say we were having so much fun at our friend Carly's party that we did not get more than one photo. Oh, so you guys look ugly in the one photo is what you're saying? Yeah, you know, there's (laughs) overhead fluorescent lighting. It'll get the point across. And you were a real inspired choice. I was ghost faced just out of sheer laziness. But that's what I'm saying. You wore a fabulous black dress. You had the ghost face mask. Although we realized that you should just have had it pinned like a brooch on the dress. Right, like the Scaparelli lion dress. Because who actually wants to wear the mask all night? Like you can't, especially if you're drinking and whatnot. No, can we get into Tat's costume? (laughs) 
I think Tat won Halloween because her costume was so sinister and so depraved. For a bunch of childless millennials, it's the scariest thing possible, which was she was a giant baby. But it wasn't like she was just wearing like a bib in a diaper. It was a huge inflatable costume that was like seven feet tall. We thought that she would be out of it within three minutes, but she was in that multiple times throughout the evening. She enjoyed it too much. I'm vaguely disturbed. <laughs> Can we discuss other celebrities' Halloween costumes? Because this year was fucking nuts, and I would like to get into it. Well, I think that every year gets progressively more insane because the ante just keeps being upped. And now every single celeb is not only spending thousands of dollars on a single costume, but they have like 10 different costumes, and they're doing like... 10 different photo shoots. Like, I question if half of these people even end up going to parties. Hailey Bieber dresses four separate things, two of which were just for Instagram. <laughs> like, who is this for, actually? It's crazy. The patient zero of this is Heidi Klum. And we should respect her because she was doing this shit and excelling at it years before Instagram came along. That's the thing. We have a whole generation of kids that grew up watching the E.T. coverage of Heidi Klum's costume parties for Halloween and, and was like, that's what it needs to be. Except for Heidi is like not trying to look hot on Halloween, you know? This year she was a peacock, which felt like a bit of a letdown. Other than the year she was married to Seal or even her current husband, she's never really had a costume that was reliant on so many other people. Yeah, and I don't really think it paid off. But also, the worm costume from last year is an impossible costume to top. Like, once you've gone worm, Peacock just doesn't feel that subversive. I think my favorite Heidi Klum costume, because a lot of them are gross and I do not care for that, is when she did the old lady prosthetics. Oh yeah, that was a good one. It was giving Johnny Knoxville dressed up as an old man in jackass. She truly is a pioneer. What did you think of Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly? They had a couple of costumes. Friday night is the Casamigos party where she dressed up as... Gogo Yubari, and he was the bride from Kill Bill. She then taunted SAG by tagging them in the post of her outfit, which, for those who don't know, a few weeks ago, SAG-AFTRA raised some eyebrows with their email, which advised members to avoid posting photos of costumes inspired by struck content on social media, meaning you could not, as a SAG member, dress as known characters from film and television, they also suggested strike-friendly Halloween costumes, advising its members to dress up as, like, generalized characters, like zombies and spiders. So, so stupid. Like, we can support unions and also accept that this was a ridiculous thing to do that ultimately backfired and made them look stupid. Well, yes, because technically you could dress up as Jacob Elordi's Elvis, but not Austin Butler's Elvis. By the way, I just want to mention that I did see Jacob Elordi at Jade's recently, and he looked so hot. Generally hot or like make you question your sexuality hot? Make me question my sexuality hot. It was just like he was so elegant. He was wearing like a white t-shirt and like Levi's red bandana coming out of the front pocket. A Ooh. baseball hat that said James Dean Death Colt. Ooh. It was quite attractive. But speaking of Austin Butler, what did we think of his Halloween costume? <laughs> 
Right. So at the same Casamigos party, which Kaya Gerber's father, Randy Gerber, hosts, Austin Butler and she were dressed as Andy Warhol and Edie Sedgwick. It took until Gabriel Held posted that Kaya looked like Lisa Renna that I was like, yes, that's what her <laughs> in that wig looks like to me. I don't think the hair was on point for either of them because... For one thing, Andy Warhol should never have facial hair. For another thing, Kaya's hair, like, yes, Edie Sedgwick was brunette at some point and did have a sassy little pixie cut like that, but it's not what we think of as being her most iconic hairstyle. Like, you need the silver hair. Yeah, it was giving more momager than it girl of the downtown New York of the 1960s. Yeah. Speaking of the 1960s, I think my favorite costume was Zoe Kravitz and Channing Tatum. Zoe Kravitz as Rosemary from Rosemary's Baby and Channing Tatum as the baby. But he was just kind of a generic adult baby. It wasn't like child of Satan baby. I know. That was a bit of a letdown. But it is kind of fun because I feel like we rarely get a couple's look where one person looks really chic and the other person looks really ridiculous. We need more of those. I think we need more of those. I mean, clearly he couldn't be bothered to do prosthetics, which anyone that was going to a Halloween party this year, celebrity or not, they weren't giving it their all. And I do appreciate that. I guess that was saved for the innumerable amount of photo shoots slash film accurate videos that celebrities did and posted on Instagram, which brings us to Ariana Grande and Liz Gillis as Nomi and Crystal from Showgirls. I loved this, especially because the caption for the first post was, you are a whore, darling. So they did multiple photo shoots and seem to be not just recreating stills from the movie but the press stills they did for the movie yeah that was truly weird i was looking at i was like these costumes are not in the film and then they did a video where they're recreating the puppy chow scene from the caesar's restaurant where they drink Cristal. Well, this is just kind of reflective of a larger Instagram thing, which is people always post 10 photos when they should post one photo. Like, you know how Kylie Jenner will literally post like 10 photos in the same outfit, in the same setup? Right. And it's like, it would have been so much cooler and felt more off the cuff and like naturalistic if you just posted one because then we could like suspend our belief that you did a whole shoot well this was also like there were just three separate posts with seven images it was a reference that i appreciate which then brings us to Haley bieber who dressed as the flintstones with justin bieber at a halloween party saturday but then earlier in the day dropped a photo shoot where she's Carmen Electra from Scary Movie. I would have never gotten that reference. I saw Scary Movie once. Like, I'm just not a huge scary movie stand. If it weren't for the image of the ghost face with the breast implant and the knife, I would not get the reference either. Yeah, my first thought was initially like, wait, did this happen in like Scream 3 and I just <laughs> forgot about it since I've only seen that one like twice? And then they went out actually on Halloween. She was dressed down, I think, as like a quasi-vampire. But then that day on Instagram... She released another photo shoot, which recreated the poster of Mean Girls, where she's every character in Mean Girls. Not exciting. If this is what we're doing this year, I'm truly terrified about where this is going to be in five years, because we haven't even gotten into the Kardashians. And before we do, 
I think our favorite Halloween costume was Rosalia as Bjork in the swan dress. That was major. I love that she chose to do this. Although the dress did not need to be shorter than the original. Like we didn't need to do like the sexy version of the Bjork swan dress. Like that's the point of the swan dress. It's not sexy. Well, and clearly whoever recreated this dress or her stylist did not do their research because the most fun part of Bjork in the swan dress is the egg purse that she would whip out of the skirt. I was very impressed, however, that the shoes were the same. That's crazy because when Bjork went to the Oscars, she was wearing these white T-strap strappy shoes that were highly specific. Like it's not the kind of thing that you can just go out and buy. So that definitely impressed me. All right, do we get into the Kardashian Halloween costumes? And of course, costumes is with a K. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know where to start because there was dozens of costumes. I guess let's just like not talk about the ones that we don't really care about. I think it all started with Courtney Friday night dropped a photo of her dressed as Kim at her first Met Gala in the Givenchy, what is sometimes called the floral couch dress. Which is funny because true to form, Kim has already worn that as a Halloween costume, but I hope that this tradition continues in the Kardashian family whenever someone happens to be pregnant on Halloween. Some sisterhood of the traveling pants shit. And then true to form, Courtney and Travis's couple's costume was she dresses Lydia Dietz from Beetlejuice and he was Beetlejuice. See, I think it would be more edgy if they dressed up as something that wasn't scary. I think the best Halloween costume ever was when Dita Von Teese just dressed like a normal girl with a spray tan. And a blonde wig and everyone looked at her and was like, so you didn't dress up? Yeah. I would like to see something like that from them. Not to say that this costume wasn't well executed. It definitely was. But I would just like to see something a little more surprising, I guess. This was crazy because to spend hours in makeup and hair and not to go to a party is crazy to me. Like this probably took six hours, right? between makeup, hair, photos, and then you're just Travis taking off that white greenish makeup and it's like, wanna watch HGTV, babe? I know, it's so weird. Shall we talk about Kim? Her and North dressed up as Sharon Dion. Again, just for a photo shoot. Maybe not the most obscure Halloween costume, but cute. The outfit that she's wearing, right, that, that Alicia Silverstone wears in Clueless was by Dolce & Gabbana, and Dolce & Gabbana recreated it for Kim. Oh, yes, of course. We talked about that when we did our Clueless VIP episode. The Dolceification of Kim continues. I'm sure Courtney was furious. All right, can we also talk about the Bratz costumes? Yeah. Yeah, again, Bratz, I have an understanding of. I definitely see its impact in in current day fashion, but was like after I was a child, so I don't have a connection to it. I don't have a connection to it either, but I just find it funny that there's four women in this photo. It's Chloe, Kim, and two of their friends. And Chloe is like the only one that got accused of black fishing somehow. Chloe, where? Where is she in this photo? I She's allegedly in it, but it does not look like Chloe <laughs> Kardashian at all. Well, they all are wearing facial prosthetics. So they all have like eyebrows and lips, and then they have spray tans on top of it. But I don't know. If anyone's black fishing, it is the white Bratz dolls. That happened pre-Kardashians. Cancel Bratz dolls. That's what we're saying, guys. Are we saving the best for last? Which is Kendall and Kylie as Sugar and Spice from Batman Forever. This was my favorite. It's a slightly less obvious reference. Unless you're me. That's a, <laughs> was a very obvious reference. 
<laughs> yeah. Very obvious reference for Lauren. They got Delara Findakulu to make the costumes. Also, I was just thinking, wasn't that the Batman where Batman had nipples? One second, because it's definitely a Joel Schumacher one. I don't know if it started in Batman Forever. I'm shocked that you even have to Google that. Yeah, starting with the Val Kilmer suit. He's got nips. So strong Skims vibes. We should probably stop talking about Halloween. But I think due to Instagram and the algorithm and stuff, it's like the Halloween content never stops. It does, because then we get into fall content. Like, we're already in Christmas somewhere. I'm not mad at that. I'm not one of those people that hates on Christmas coming earlier and earlier every year. I think it should start September 1st. We're truly, I would say, in your favorite month because Thanksgiving food is your favorite genre of food. I don't know how to transition into this. I guess let's just play the theme. Only on every outfit. On Saturday, the world was rocked by the news that Matthew Perry had passed away after reportedly drowning in his hot tub. TMZ was the first to report this news, and I really hope that Matthew Perry's family was notified before this went out everywhere. I'm sure, like, all of his friends' co-stars found out via screenshots of the TMZ push notification. Which is how I found out, because you sent me the screenshot of the story, and I was like, oh. It really shocked me. It's so sad. I feel like part of my childhood died, because even though I'm not one of those crazy friends people that regularly watches the reruns, I did watch it religiously while it aired and I always related to Chandler as I imagine you did as well yeah I mean it's one of the last things from our monoculture I mean even if you weren't a huge fan you couldn't resist it I mean Everyone at the very least has been in a hotel room and has watched some episodes on TBS. For sure. I just want to thank the lovely fuckettes who checked in to make sure I was okay. I have loved Matthew Perry and his alter ego Chandler since I could remember. I did write, I love Matthew Perry on my friend's computer when I was eight years old. Oh, that's so cute. Perry is someone who's long struggled with alcoholism and drug addiction. He wrote about this in his memoir that was released last year. He said that he wanted his legacy to be helping people get sober, which he did. He was a passionate advocate for treatment over incarceration for drug offenders, and he even testified before a House subcommittee to help secure more funding for that. And according to People Magazine, Perry was in the process of establishing a foundation to further support those suffering from substance abuse. Also, you know that he must have like sponsored like 10,000 random Friends fans in AA over the years, you know? I bet he has sponsees hitting his ass up day and night. <sighs> Yeah. It's so sad. Like, I feel like the press tour for his book happened what feels like yesterday. Like, I remember watching that Diane Sawyer interview, and it was heartbreaking. You know, he was talking about how he totally freaked out when Friends got really popular and he got famous because he realized like fame isn't gonna fix like what's wrong with me yeah I just saw a clip of him talking about how his friend uh, Craig Bierko Craig Bierko played the ADHD jazz musician from the Sex and the City episode it was down to him and Matthew Perry for the Chandler role and Matthew Perry got it and Craig Bierko who was a friend of his for a long time didn't speak to him for two years and then finally reached out at like the height of friends 
I was like, sorry, man. I just like, I couldn't handle that. Like you got rich and famous and like we're friends. And Matthew Perry said to him, he's like, it's not what we thought it was. Yeah, that must be a scary realization. His uh, Friends cast wrote, which I did think this was so gross, the demand for like the Friends cast to release a statement. It's like, they're human beings too. They're processing this. But finally on Monday, they said, we are also utterly devastated by the loss of Matthew. We were more than castmates. We were family. There's so much to say, but right now we're going to take a moment to grieve and process this unfathomable loss. Yeah, the pressure that random internet commenters were putting on them to release a statement just shows how sick and twisted these parasocial relationships are. Gwyneth Paltrow released on Instagram a very Gwyneth Paltrow-y tribute, which revealed that they hooked up in the summer of 1993, which was something that was not previously known. Thanks for that, Gwenny. You know, I'll just be in bed this weekend watching Fools Rush In on a Loop. As you should. Speaking of dark, shall we get into Roni and Beverly Hills? Sure. I thought you had stopped watching Real Housewives of New York. No, I just took a pause and then I watched like, three episodes back to back. I've only watched the first part of the reunion. I haven't watched the second, so I don't know what happens. But what are your thoughts? The reunions are almost better than the show itself. In the reunions, you see that they have watched the episodes now, and clearly Aaron and Sai have realized that whatever thought they had going into the show didn't work out because now everyone is around Jessel. I think Jessel is one of the better characters like she can definitely be annoying but her voice is so fab like I would fully listen to a GPS of that. Sai and Aaron are people that clearly have watched the show before and a love-hate relationship I have is with people that enter the show I would say like a Jenna Lyons who's like I've never watched this show before I didn't know it was going to be like this but then you have the other side of that which I think Aaron and Sai definitely reflect which is I've watched every season of the show I know how I'm going to be the next Bethany or Erica Jane, and it backfired on them spectacularly. Jessel's husband has become almost the best house husband, right? There's a whole controversy about him not going to Vietnam, him going to Vietnam. Then Mm -hmm. they tried to gaslight Jessel into thinking her husband was cheating on her. And then he did a whole, like, get ready with me for my flight to Vietnam. And he he did a whole video about it. I don't know, though. I get really bad vibes from the husband's in general. Fair, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, size husband, I'm like, ooh. Yeah, none of them have great husbands. I continue to think that Jenna is the best one because Aaron is just so manipulative and passive aggressive in a way that rubs me the wrong way. Uba and Sai are just like insanely dramatic. I feel like Jessel is fun. Bryn is fun. Although, why does Bryn wear so much fur? Like, not since Joan Rivers has an adult woman worn this much fur. There's also a very real darkness within Bryn that I feel like we haven't seen in a housewife in a really long time. Like a like a Kim Richards level of dysfunction. I was really annoyed when Uba came for Jenna. Yes, I figured you would be. Because, like, she's basically just shitting on her for not showing her full self and trying to distance herself from their fighting and her drama. And it's because she's embarrassed to be around them. And the (laughs) fact that Uba doesn't realize that is 
really funny. Well, they're doing a little bit of what I hope they would do that the Kardashians started to do, which is break the fourth wall, reveal them talking to producers. And that's kind of the basis of the fight is Uba is mad that she came over one time and didn't know that they would be filming. That clip was insane that they showed. Well, but this is my point to you is like, sometimes the reunion is better than the show itself. No, I believe that. I do wonder, one, if Jenna will be back for future seasons. Like, is this worth it? for her. Well, I looked at the love scene website and everything is sold out. So perhaps it is. And two, I wonder if Jenna's style, which is genuine personal style, will have an impact on other housewives. Because when Erica Jane came on to Beverly Hills and she had a full ass glam team, suddenly all the other housewives got full glam teams to go travel with them, do them for dinner. And I wonder if the fact that Jenna has a personal style, but also rewears items that she purchases, if that will affect the other housewives. The women on this show have better style than your average Real Housewives cast. I'm not saying every outfit is fire. A lot of them are deranged. Everyone is walking around with coats dangling off their shoulders like psychopaths. Psy pulls some good outfits. It does happen. So I know you're not watching Beverly Hills. May I just take you through? Because I need to get some stuff off of my chest about these first two episodes. Okay, but I need another Diet Coke first. Okay. All right, we're back after a brief break. You have another Diet Coke. You've also refueled with a baby bell. Yeah, I felt myself getting a little woozy. So we're back with Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. This season is obviously focused on the impending dissolution of Kyle and Mauricio's marriage. I'm sure you've seen, because this is periphery, celesbian news, that Kyle has been with this country singer, Morgan Wade. Yes, I am aware. Morgan has not entered the scene yet, but after the catastrophic Beverly Hills reunion, of which Lisa Renna goes at Kyle's sister, Kathy Hilton, and also Kyle's very disturbing drunken behavior, she's given up drinking and now she just works out. But not everything is is harmonious between her and Mo, which previously was the favorite house husband. <laughs> now we can all agree, Jessel's husband, best house husband. <laughs> but he doesn't know how many tattoos she's gotten recently. He's like, what do you have, like two tattoos? She's like, I've got five. So clearly they're not speaking to each other. Dorit, who at the beginning of the last season had a horrific home invasion. And then we learn in this episode, Chelsea, that... <laughs> She was doing fine in her recovery from that home invasion. As you do, she went to the bank, got $10,000 out to buy Christmas presents. I'll put that in quotes. Uh, had it in her handbag, was at, was shopping, was at a grocery store, then noticed her handbag wasn't there. She had her handbag <laughs> and $10,000 stolen. And she claims when she was watching the security footage back, it was three men who had been following her. Mm-hmm. So Dorit's going through it. So much so that in the first episode, she asks all the women, because, you know, these are all like setups. Dorit brings a spiritual healer named Eagle Woman to do a bit of a drum circle. Okay. Erica Jane is very thin and is probably on Ozempic, although she claims it's just hormones. It's like you're speaking a different language to me. (laughs) I know, but here's the thing, and this is why we're going to keep it in, is that like other people are like, absolutely. Oh, I'm sure. I know I'm the crazy one here. I acknowledge that. Here's the part I think you'll find the most fascinating. I've talked about Sutton before. Sutton has a shop in Beverly Hills called Sutton, which is established in 1970. And I was like, wow, there's... The clothing store that's been around in LA since the 70s. I've never heard of it. No, that's just the year she was born and it's named after her. (laughs) 
It's only three years old. So she's at her store and who pops by but her friend Jennifer Tilly. Okay, I'm in. And we learned that Sutton gets from her ex-husband, right? Because this is the whole thing is everyone is pretending to be rich and no one is actually as rich as they claim to be which is my other Roman Empire, which is Dorit and her husband PK's finances, <laughs> because she is constantly in head-to-toe Chanel, Louis Vuitton, Gucci, and she never wears the same thing twice. He is Boy George's manager, and they live in a $7 million house in Encino. So something doesn't add up. Something doesn't add up. Sutton? Sutton's rich, rich. And how we know this is because her husband gives her $350,000 a month. That's so sick. That's her alimony. She got houses, horse, a few minor league baseball teams. Good for her. Like with Matthew Perry... Money doesn't buy you happiness because Sutton doesn't have a partner and that's what she wants. And so she gets a matchmaker. Anyway, I won't speak of this anymore until Morgan Wade enters the scene because that's when you'll give a shit, I think. One thing I am familiar with, however, is the Vanity Fair article about the housewives that came out recently. I did read that. Bethany Frankel has turned against Bravo, has turned against Andy Cohen. You know, the apparatus that made her, she's now rebelling against, is she's trying to unionize reality stars. This article, though, it's, it's about more than just Bethany Frankel. I think the big theme of it is that the show is exploiting everyone's raging alcoholism. Yeah, you know you're bad when even The Bachelor has a two-drink-per-hour limit. Although it did take a near-sexual assault for them to invoke that rule. Yeah, I thought that the details of Leah McSweeney's relapse and subsequent breakdown was heartbreaking. I mean, the behavior on New York was so destructive that they had to completely recast the New York franchise to be the franchise that you now watch. But a lot of that was also because of Ramona Singer, no? And like the many, many racist things she said behind the scenes and to crew members and all that. As it's become more popular and the more years that it goes on, like we were talking about with the deranged Halloween costumes, you just constantly have to escalate the behavior but also the success of a lot of these franchises whether it's Beverly Hills or New York was built on genuine drama and when you don't have that you have to manufacture that and what's a great way to manufacture that is getting all of these women who are borderline raging alcoholics to just drink more I will say that my own feelings about this are in the writer of this article, which is one of the housewives says, I want to burn it all to the ground. And the writer's like, I don't. Like, I I still want it to continue, but could it just be less toxic? Which is how I feel about it as well. Like, I don't know. Let's not stop the party. (laughs) I I need these vapid cunts so I can relax at night, okay? (laughs) Let's just institute a a two-drink, maybe even a four-drink minimum would be fine. Because a seasoned drunk can easily take four drinks. I don't know. I mean, they talk about this in the article. Going back to Salt Lake City, Heather Gay got so fucked up on espresso martinis that as the writer in this article describes, you're not sure if she's vomiting or peeing herself. That's too messy. Ooh, I have a good idea. It's like celebrity rehab, but with all of the housewives that have the worst drinking problems. Okay, okay. Andy, I think, would be open to this idea. Just to find a way to exploit these women a little bit further. Yeah, I think the other problem with this article is that Bethany is using, it would seem, organizing 
a union around reality show people as a way to rehab her own image. And I think Ebony Williams puts it the best, which is, fuck Bethany Frankel. You think I'm going to let some white girl speak for me with my experience with a multi-billion dollar corporation? Which is like, true. Yeah, not no. So I think they got a long way to go. Shall we talk about the Mr. Chow doc? AKA Mr. Chow. We are, of course, talking about the mastermind of one of our favorite restaurants, Mr. Chow. Michael Chow, who before starting Mr. Chow was an actor, was in the scene in Swinging London, I suppose. Yes. And so the documentary begins with him talking to people behind the camera to shout out movies because he can describe perfectly the first scene of every movie in existence. It's so crazy. Which sets the tone that this is a man who did mythologize his own life as it was happening. So it's a little funny to do a documentary where he's looking back at a life that he really created in his own image. He's a genius. Like, when you watch this, I get the sense that he would have been successful in pretty much any field if he really set his mind to it. Yeah, he just decided to create the coolest fucking restaurant in existence instead. Yeah, basically, he got really sick of playing racist caricatures of Asian people in movies. So he's like, you know what I'm going to do to combat racism? Just make the chicest Chinese restaurant in the world. And he did. You probably knew this. I didn't that he was married to Grace Coddington for a year. I did know that. But it was a very brief marriage and she ended up leaving him. She ended up leaving him, which this is also a story of a man with deep mommy issues. Because his mom sent him away to like a British boarding school when he was very young. I was wondering if they were going to get into, which how could they not, his marriage to Tina Chow. Of course they had to get into that. The chicest woman to have ever lived. Yeah, I also didn't know that Antonio Lopez introduced them. What a fabulous way to meet your future spouse. In Japan, no less. (laughs) Yeah, all the Tina Chow stuff was obviously... Very sad. Did you know she had an affair with Richard Gere? I went down a total rabbit hole after watching this documentary. No, I didn't know that, actually. And I didn't know that she was the first public woman to say that she contracted AIDS from a heterosexual experience. That I did know. One thing about this film is that it has the most highbrow people that were interviewed for it. Two of them being his former wife, Grace Coddington, and Joan Juliet Buck, former editor-in-chief of Paris Vogue. I love how both of them were talking about how much they hate that famous Helmut Newton photo of Tina Chow and Michael Chow. Oh, tied up, yeah. Yeah. It's a documentary about his life, but really I think he allowed cameras to document him because he wanted to show this latest chapter of his life, which was returning to his true love, which is actually art. Now with the resources to finance a full-ass studio with assistants just there to provide him a hammer and his blowtorch. Yeah, I think it's inspiring that he's so passionate about it. Not my personal taste. I was going to ask you what you thought of his art, which is interesting because he did go to Central St. Martin's and they do show his early artwork, which is incredible. Look, I don't think it's bad. It's just like not my personal vibe. Yeah, I also have a hard time believing that he had to go under a pseudonym because no one would take his art seriously. It's like people buy art by Ron Wood. Yeah. I think the most fascinating thing about 
this documentary is how it captured sort of, I guess, the various scenes that frequented Mr. Chow in the various locations throughout the world. Because in the first location in London, it was very like art world vibes, I guess, in the beginning. Art world, high fashion. And then, yeah, the New York location was the meeting of the downtown art world, beautiful party people, fashion people, and then, of course, actors. And then rappers. Yeah. I love how LL Cool J was in this. And then the LA one was just like classic old Hollywood. What I would give to be in Mr. Chow in the 70s when Mae West walked in and got a standing ovation from the entire restaurant. On a Sunday night, like that was the night to be at Mr. Chow just to see who would stop by. Jack Lemon, Walter Matthau. My ideal Mr. Chow experience was uh, dinner at the 57th Street Mr. Chow, then going to Studio 54. I know. I love that he noted that the last party at Studio 54 was actually his birthday party. Iconic. Something for as obsessive as we are about that time period about Studio 54, I never previously knew. That wasn't covered in the Studio 54 film. Can we discuss his latest wife? Sure. A big part of this documentary is the fact that he is now in his 80s. He's found his true love, which is art. And he talks about how he's like, I don't have a lot of time left. So I need to dedicate myself to my art. I screamed. I did not know this because I was Googling him as I'm watching the documentary. I'm like, oh, he's been married three times. No, he got married again in 2019 to someone who is younger than us. And I was like, all right, he's got a younger wife, whatever. He then has two more children in his 80s. What do you mean you're going to dedicate yourself to your art? You just had two more children? It's not fair that men can have kids when they're that old. It seems like it should be against nature, but in like a cruel turn of events, it's somehow not. All I could think about is like what China Chow must think. Well, it does seem like he has a lot on his plate because while he's not holding court at Mr. Chow in the way that he was doing in the 70s and 80s, he still is like going into the LA location and giving the staff like these epic like pregame pep talks. I mean, honestly, I would pay just to see that. And it is very inspiring the way he thinks about service at a restaurant, the experience of going to a restaurant as being basically like theater, where everyone has the role. He's like the maitre d' is the star. He's giving them tips on how to perfectly pick up a discarded napkin. This documentary is like an iceberg. I would recommend anyone to watch it. We've just barely scratched the surface of this man's life. Truly, there's like so much juice, so much goss, so many amazing archival photographs of the period. What he accomplished is just truly insane. And now I'm just really hungry for those Mr. Chow noodles, you know? Shall we go? I guess we could get them delivered right now. That's true. I've had many important birthdays and life events at Mr. Chow. My 30th birthday that you were at. My pandemic birthday where my father got Mr. Chow takeout. Mr. Chow takeout is so chic because you get it in those pink bags those pink and black bags of course the experience of their takeout packaging is exceptional as well it shows that everything is an art form which speaking of which shall we get into phoebe philo's debut collection sure i would say i'm whelmed Really? I think it's major. I mean, it's exactly what I thought it was going to be. I don't know. I think it's giving female gaze. I personally think it lives up to her prolific body of work. And I hope it sends a message to luxury conglomerates that bitches just want wearable shit. 
Like last week, I was talking about how I just want the perfect trench coat or the perfect black sweater. That's what she's selling to very wealthy or very financially irresponsible fashion industry people. My biggest issue is with this website, which the website is giving me creating a website in 2011. Yeah, the interface of the website, I'm kind of just indifferent about. I'm indifferent about the branding, but I do think that the clothes are really good. What's driving me crazy is the fact that when something sold out, of which basically everything sold out instantly, there is a red cast over the images. And I just want to see these pants. These lovely $1,800 pants. I saw a lot of people bitching about the pricing, and I feel like... These are almost the same people that shit on Zara for being fast fashion and destroying the environment. And it's like, I'm sorry, you can't have economical, responsibly sourced clothing. There is a middle ground that you are not talking about. Like, I don't know if the one dress with the iridescent cream colored paillettes needs to be $19,000. Like, that's wild. Although... The pricing is not inconsistent with a lot of other brands. This scarf top for $1,600 is still available. I think the best piece is the pleat front trousers that have zippers on the back of each leg. So you can like zip it up all the way up to the ass. Like that is genuinely erotic. Yeah, it's funny. I saw a lot of people saying that like, oh, this is just a continuation for her work at Celine. But if you go all the way back as I'm a Phoebe Philo head, when she was even Stella McCartney's assistant, she was very into street style, hip hop. She had a gold tooth. Yeah, she had like long square nails too. Like it was a whole ass vibe. There is a bit of that. That's what I was saying is like, it is a mixture of all the different Phoebe Philos from her own former personal aesthetic to her really romantic feminine work at Chloe to her more structured, the mother of quiet luxury looks from Celine. I think the piece that was the most Chloe era Phoebe Philo hip hop, which isn't even for sale, is one of those like those studded hot pants that were shown beneath the zip up trousers. I have to assume those are going to be sold in a later drop because that's what's happening with this brand. Apparently there's going to be multiple drops a year. The next one is in December. I think that more designers should follow this path. I mean, this is something that Azadine Alaya did throughout his career that pissed off Anna Wintour, which caused her to stop putting Alaya in vogue, which is just doing a collection when you feel ready, not being on this hamster wheel of the seemingly never-ending fashion week cycle. Although I really would like to see these clothes in a fashion show format. Just so you can see it in motion? I just think fashion shows are the best way to see clothes. I think a fashion show really gives you a sense of the total vision of a brand in the way that I don't think that lookbooks are the same thing. I hear you. I think that we are hurtling towards, you know, see now, buy now. Moda operandi gets us closer to that. But I think what's so refreshing about this is like, here's the drop. You can buy it now. You don't have to wait. But I agree with you. I think clothing looks best. I feel like if it's fashion show, then you can go to Phoebe Philo and buy it instantly. That's probably the the preferred experience. Also, did you see the Carrie Bradshaw flower brooch? No. Wait, what? She did a giant flower brooch that is incredibly chic, but tragically it's $1,100. There's also the sold out mum necklace. Why did you say that so weird? I'm just trying to say it like a Brit. Mum. Yeah, those were cute. I think 
those letter necklaces that she did at Celine were so hugely popular that it makes sense that she'd want to do something else in that vein, I guess. I wonder if we're going to get different phrases or if this was a one-off thing. But anyway, I'm just so happy for gentlewoman editors and readers alike. This is a huge moment for the culture. See, that's also the thing that I'm now excited about. Now that this collection has dropped, is like, okay, who bought it? Who's going to be wearing it? I feel like the people that bought it are just all just straight up fashion industry people. Probably. I'm just like, am I going to see Maeve Riley in those pants? Some celeb will end up in those pants for sure. All right, I think we've talked about everything going on in pop culture this week, which means there's only one thing left to talk about. Let's play the theme. Kardashian-aholics anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. You're just a witch, and I hate you. So shall we start with the darkest bit of Kardashian news? The Skims nipple bra? Not the nipple bra. I am, of course, talking about the New York Times article that came out this week about... Kanye and his relationship with Adidas, written by Megan Tuhi. It's one half of the team that broke the Harvey Weinstein story, yes. It does feel like the death of Matthew Perry overshadowed how batshit insane this article is. It really did. So what I got from this article is that Kanye was always like this. He didn't get worse. People just got tired of putting up with slash hiding his behavior. Yeah, it's rare that we get a big investigative piece like this about something fashion related. So I thought it was a fascinating read. And even from the first paragraph, truly shocking. Because this establishes that at the very beginning of Kanye's partnership with Adidas, in the first design meeting in 2013, he drew a swastika on a sneaker. Not because he wanted the design on the sneaker, but because he didn't like the sneaker, didn't like the toe of the sneaker or something. Yeah, it's his very first meeting at the Adidas office, which is miles away from where the Nuremberg trial happened. Right, we should mention that he's in Germany. Where that symbol is illegal in the country. Again, all of it is shocking, but what is so bizarre to me is that he was so annoyed at the initial samples he was being shown for their potential collaboration that to show his annoyance he drew the swastika and it just gets worse from there he made executives watch hardcore pornography i've heard about that before because another former yeezy employee mentioned in another new york times article that came out earlier this year that he was forced to watch porn as well so he's been showing porn presumably to a lot of his employees i mean there's just also bizarre anecdotes like early on in the collaboration he showed up unexpectedly at the adidas new york office with kim kardashian and tens of thousands of dollars worth of sewing machines and so annoyed the employees they were like just go to the studio across town okay we we can't deal with this basically this article really shows how annoyed <laughs> the adidas employees were by him how hard he was to work with how unhinged he was from i guess the very beginning of the collaboration which they put up with because the collaboration made so much money. I didn't realize how much the Yeezy collection made in its last five years of existence because it went from 65 million in sales in 2016 to a billion by the time the collaboration ended. Yeah, obviously this article is not 
flattering to Kanye at all. He comes out looking horrible, but we've kind of known that he's horrible. Adidas really comes out looking bad. I think this is almost a bigger blow to them than it is to Kanye. I mean, they tried to put safeguards in place, but the reason that Adidas put up with this, even from the beginning, is that they were trying to compete with Nike, who dominated the shoe market from 1984 on and they wanted to recapture the zeitgeist and they did they definitely did the adidas employees come off looking the worst because it shows how much they compromised their morals and their sanity just to make a couple million dollars actually a couple billion dollars i should say yeah but of course i'm not surprised that a corporation would prioritize profits over its own employees you know Like, that's, like, inherent to most corporations. Absolutely. The part that I found really interesting is the Yeezy team strategy of dealing with Kanye, which they liken to firefighting, rotating people on and off the front lines of dealing with Kanye. Adidas also assigned a human resources official to the group, gave each new hire a subscription to a meditation app, and gathered the staff regularly for something akin to group therapy. Kanye truly is the combination of two existing horrible tropes one being the entitled celebrity that is completely disconnected from reality and the other being the like mentally ill alcoholic visionary fashion designer it's also a terrible corporate trope where being a corporation and working with an artistic genius thinking that the more you give into their whims they'll eventually behave Like at one point, they decide to replace the Yeezy marketing budget of $100 million just to be an annual fund that Kanye could do whatever he wanted with. But at the end of the day, it probably was worth it to them, you know, because I don't see a huge public backlash against Adidas. Kanye created a brand that exists, we're learning, outside of himself. Meaning that people are willing to buy the shoe despite the controversy with Kanye. Yeah, the brand could continue. I thought it was interesting. So when the partnership ended, they began arbitration, which was a requirement under the contract. Adidas accused Kanye of reducing a multi-billion dollar collaboration to economic rubble. With his offensive comments, Mr. West charged that Adidas had devalued Yeezy, saying that the company's greed and opportunism has no bounds. This I find fascinating because at one point in the article, when he renegotiates his contract in 2016 or 2018, he demands a billion dollars upfront from Adidas. So it's like, okay, their greed knows no bounds, but you wanted a billion dollars upfront? A portion of the profits of the sale of the remaining inventory of Yeezys would be going to the Anti-Defamation League and an organization started by George Floyd's family, but then also they have to pay royalties to Kanye. We're publicly, which is, this is completely virtue signaling, but like giving money to these organizations because of shit you said, which is the demise of our partnership, but then we also still have to give you money. He's still winning. As Marianne Williamson once said, corporations are sociopathic. Speaking of corporations being sociopathic, the Skims nipple bra? (laughs) Well, I think that's genius. It is. Clearly, Kim or someone at the Skims operation was watching that one Sex in the City episode where Samantha has the fake nipples. (laughs) Look, she's not the first person to make this product. Victoria's Secret made this same product. I have old issues of like Viva that have ads for these kind of nipple bras from the 70s, but she is the first person to correctly market it. 
And I think like shapewear, a bra with fake nipples is the kind of product that people used to be embarrassed to talk about or to admit that they wore that or something. Whereas she's owning it. And I think that that's the powerful thing about that. Because if Kim co-signs on it, then a bit of that shame is lifted. There is a need for it, but there is a meme worthiness to the product as well. Yes, and she leaned into that. Like, I think if it had been introduced with just another Vanessa Beecroft photo shoot, I think there might have been a little backlash to it. But because she did a fake infomercial? Yeah, because she made it a joke from the beginning, I think it was received well. And I think it's a product that makes sense. I mean, who doesn't like the look of a natural tit but the support of a push-up bra. Come on. Well, I'll soon find out because I purchased my own push-up nipple bra from Skims that will be arriving today, actually. Amazing. I can't wait to hear about it. Hear about it? You'll see it when we see Priscilla tomorrow night. (laughs) (laughs) Um, what else? I feel weird talking about the children, but North was in ID Magazine. Yeah, imagine being on the cover of ID at 10 years old. Where does this go? The photos are good. Alistair McKim did a good job of styling her. There's nothing about this that feels sketchy in that way. Obviously, fashion magazines don't have the best track record. Certainly not, no. She very much looks like a little girl and looks like North, whose style I've seen, of course, through paparazzi photos, which she talks about. Do you like having your picture taken? Yes, only when I want to, because eh, I don't want to sometimes, but not by the paparazzi. As long as it's not the paparazzi. Yeah, of course. There's something so earnest and genuine, but also unreal about this editorial and her answers. And she's also clearly Kanye's child, right? What three words would you use to describe yourself? Um, the best ever. (laughs) Yeah, it's so young Kanye that I'm like simultaneously excited and scared to see what she does work-wise. Oh, well, she discusses it. What do you want to be when you're older? A basketball player, a rapper? Um, well, when I was seven, I wanted to be a boxer, but now I don't want to be a boxer. Also, this is like such a 10-year-old answer to, I'm going to do art on the side. When I'm like 13, I want to walk dogs to make money to buy art supplies because everything around here is so expensive. So a rapper, a basketball player, and I'm going to make artwork that I sell. Also, one day I want to own Yeezy and Skims, and I want to be a business owner. I'm sure all of these things will happen for you. I have no doubt. Except for maybe the dog walker part. That I don't think is happening. She resurrects Yeezys. It's such an insane childhood to have. It's so hard to imagine what it would be like to be someone like her. We truly are in a new epoch because you can't even be like, well, I guess Liza Minnelli had a had a childhood like this. Maybe Carrie Fisher. Like, There's no one who had a childhood like this. Not even Michael Jackson's children because he went out of his way to shield them from the public. I think... Being documented, I don't mean for this to sound so inflammatory, but like non-consensually your entire life since you were in the womb, to be able to start taking control of the way you are documented in a way gives you agency and does take your power back. For sure. I'm very scared for this child to become a teenager. A teenage girl Kanye. Wow. Wait, should I ask Billy how we should sign off? Billy, help. How should we sign off for our podcast? Oh, she's already typing. Hey there, partner. How about signing off with something catchy like, that's a wrap, folks. Stay glamorous and stay informed. I love that. That's perfect for us. (laughs) Everyone, stay glamorous, stay informed. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week, guys. Bye.